Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He's available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank our sponsors uh, for the second hour for making this show economically viable. And our sponsors for the second hour are American Manganese, Avena Silver and Gold Mines, uh, Prophecy Platinum, and Millrock Resources. Well, before we went to break, we were talking with John Coleman. Dr. John Coleman is back with us. Uh, and I might just mention uh, that, uh, you know, my endorsement uh, of his book, I really hope that people will read it, question it, uh, think about it, pass it on to their friends, or have their friends buy the book. Uh, I've talked frequently about the creature from Jekyll Island and how important I think that is for every American to read, say, so understand. Uh, the importance of the Federal Reserve Bank, but I believe that Dr. Coleman takes this uh, several steps deeper into the uh, into the order of the the world. Um, let's say the world's elite, uh, the power, 
uh, structure and uh, the people that really the makers and the shakers that decide policy and decide what our future is going to be. And we were talking about one of the most important issues in my lifetime of uh, 64, almost 65 years, the assassination of John Kennedy. Uh, and uh, this is not just a lone, if, if you believe, Dr. Coleman, uh, that this was, that there's a bigger picture here and it was not just a lone gunman acting, uh, a crazy individual acting alone, but that it was connected to lots of other events that are going on past and future in, in history, then, then this is a very, very important topic. I can remember back at the days of uh, President Kennedy's uh, assassination, how saddened the country was. Uh, how hurt we were in many ways. Uh, some people weren't uh, so hurt, I guess. In some ways, they saw Kennedy as an enemy, but uh, but certainly uh, Americans were hurt, and it was tragic, and it was hard to understand. And of course, we were given the Warren Commission, and we were told that uh, don't worry, uh, it was just one individual acting alone. And as I mentioned, Vincent Bugliosi, who I have uh, a great deal of respect for, has written a book four days in November in which he suggests that, in fact, the Warren Commission uh, has it right. Uh, Dr. Coleman is uh, suggesting otherwise, and, and indeed, I think the mainstream even is doubting uh, still. I heard the other day there was a, uh, on one of the mainstream networks a, a, a historian who says, oh, well, I think most likely uh, uh, that uh, Oswald acted alone, but he says we don't know this for sure yet. So uh, even in the minds of the mainstream, there's lots of questions. Well, uh, Dr. Coleman, I'd like to ask you, uh, you were talking about how Oswald was aware uh, even that Kennedy was going to be killed and that who would do it, uh, the people that would, be, uh, uh, that would be involved with it, and he tried to uh, warn um, J. Edgar Hoover about this. Um, can you explain, um, you have, and, and you're talking about documentary evidence, evidence that you, you have been privy to documents that most people are not privy to. Could you pass, just, just review that for us. I know you talked about it the last time you were on our show, but tell our listeners how it is that you were able to um, see certain documents that might be classified for most people. Well, actually, they're not so secret now. There are 60,000 documents issued, and they were produced, uh, that evidence that exists. Today, um, that was that uh, Oswald was certainly not the lone gunman at all. Mm-hmm. And then we have this photograph where you have two agents of the uh, Texas police in plain clothes coming out of the building, the book depository, and they're carrying two rifles. Mm-hmm. And the photographer was managed to take a quick photograph of them much to the surprise of the agents who were trying to sneak out with them, and clearly marked on these rifles were Mauser, made in Germany, both of them. And that's that was where these rifles were planted as a pretext to make out that Kennedy was shot from the book, the, uh, book depository, whereas it came, actually the shots came frontal from the overpass. And there was a photograph taken at the time would show people running towards the overpass because clearly that's where the sound was coming from. And there's also the evidence of one witness who was not called by the Warren Commission of the bullets hitting the elm trees. There's some Mm -hmm. elm trees nearby, and these bullets were ripping through the branches. So the onlookers and the people were prevented to go over to the overpass where they would have seen these three gunman who'd been specially selected 
as marksman and be trained in Pueblo and uh, at the Reverend Carl McIntyre's ranch. And from there they came down and, and they uh, were selected to do the job. And that's what happened. But nobody could get to them. By the time people were able to get to them, they already, before they could get there, they were gone. They'd been spirited away to White Plains and out of the out of harm's way. And, of course, nobody knows to this day who these marksmen were or are, and they never will likely find out. Okay, so... It's a so, vast, vast, vast conspiracy. So, and, okay, so we had these, these men that were singled out in Texas to do the job and to frame Oswald. They were not from Texas. They were marksmen chosen from seven different... A group of the best marksmen in the country... And they were sent to Pueblo in Mexico to do special training and practicing at the Carl McIntyre Ranch. Mm -hmm. Then they were taken back to Dallas, and the three who were going to do the shooting were selected, and they were the ones who were positioned on the overpass. And the rifles they used were a Mauser rifle and a dum-dum, actually, forbidden by international law, and that's why Kennedy's... The entire back of his head was blown off, blown right open. The skull was completely gone. Mm-hmm. And the documents are from the Assassination Review Board. They are no longer secret documents now. They were at the time, but they are there. And I suppose they could be obtained if people want to go to the trouble. And uh, I, should, I don't quite know how they'd apply to get them, but I would imagine that they're not sealed and by now they are open. But I'm not sure what became of them. Well, who has time to read so many documents is one thing. As I said, most people don't have time. They're, they're concerned more about, um, well, some frivolous things, enjoying life a little bit as they see it, and putting food on their table and, and to have the time to uh, Well, I think it's more that they're concerned about making a living and putting food on their table. And that's how it was meant to be. That's how it has been designed to so that they'd be so busy trying to scrape by that they won't have time for anything like this. Right, so that's right. So that you have to just be concerned about staying alive, and you're so busy that you don't have time for anything, uh, any questioning of authority. Um, well, there also was some, I think, some uh, issues with respect to the um, to the Kennedy to, to the um, security of Kennedy's body after after this event, wasn't there? Was, was I mean, it wasn't like it was taken into custody and in, in, in some controlled sense or. I mean, was there some confusion about where he was to go and, and what happened, the autopsy and all of that? Was there, was there ever an autopsy that was carried out that, that, that really revealed uh, what happened? According to Texas law, the body of Kennedy, who died a violent death, was not allowed to be removed from Texas. And the Texas authorities were going to do all of the pathology and forensic work and make their views known. Now, Lyndon Johnson, who was president at the time, knew, of course, that this would be the case, that the truth would come out. So he gave orders for Kennedy's body to be removed to Washington, which was totally against Texas law, which under the Tenth Amendment could not be overridden. But Johnson, like so many presidents after him, just didn't bother about what the law said. And Kennedy's body was removed and taken to Washington, D.C., it should have stayed in Texas, and then we would have known the truth very much earlier. And was that the same thing virtually that was pre-planned, I would imagine, 
Although I'm not sure that that uh, President Johnson would have known all of that. He certainly didn't know Kennedy was to be assassinated. That he certainly didn't know. He didn't but know he because did there... an order overriding the, the removal of the body to Washington D.C. He, he issued an executive order. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, certainly there are people that thought that uh, there have been theories, at least, and, and maybe just speculation on the part of people that Johnson might have actually had something to do with the assassination. You obviously don't believe that. No, I categorically do not believe that. In your book, you say um, hyster- historians have really uh, failed their profession. Uh, would you like to expand on that? Well, historians are supposed to record genuine history. Instead of that, none of them had the the strength of will to tackle the Kennedy assassination and tell the truth about it. So what they did was they left the whole stage to the media. And the media, of course, played along with the Committee of 300 and gave their version about the lone gunman and the events that led up to the murder. And that's been accepted by the American people as being the truth when it isn't the truth. You, uh, a very interesting part of this discussion on the Kennedy assassination went back to Joseph Kennedy, his father, uh, and some of the history that went back with Joseph Kennedy and FDR. Would you like to talk about that for a minute and perhaps leading up to why was Kennedy murdered and, and what did Kennedy do that made him enemies that, that caused him to be murdered? But as I recall reading back in your book, you sort of started out with that discussion talking about how the Kennedy boys were brought up with Joseph Kennedy asserting their their um, their independence or their manhood, if you will, uh, if they were ever to become president. Could you could you just give us a, a little bit of uh, history on that? Well, yes, the Joseph Kennedy was an ex was exporting uh, whiskey to the United States, and uh, he was based in London. And Roosevelt wrote and asked him for support for his candidacy and also for various things that he had in mind. And uh, Kennedy said, I'll support you, but on condition, I want my boys to be one of them, at least to be the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Roosevelt promised him, he said, well, we certainly make John F. Kennedy the, the president of the United States. And that is how he came to be the president. Is that so? That's another story, another tangent. I don't know if we have time for it today. Maybe we can talk about it in the future. But, um, but so you're saying that Roosevelt and the, and the powers that be within the Democratic Party arranged uh, for John Kennedy to become president? That's right. Of course, uh, you know, we think we vote for – we always think in America that we vote for our president. We have not <laughs> voted for a president ourselves since uh, Woodrow Wilson's days. Yeah. Every president has been elected for us. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy was, of course, before that, he was the one who was elected to be president by Roosevelt in return for the support of Kennedy for his various, Roosevelt's various enterprises mm-hmm. and actions that he intended taking and did take. But wasn't there, uh, wasn't there some issue between Joe Kennedy and uh, President Roosevelt that uh, upset Kennedy, uh, Joseph Kennedy then? Yes, that, that did upset him very much. And he said, I'll get my, my way, I'll get my revenge, if you will, by getting one of my sons to be the president of the United I States. See. And although eventually Roosevelt agreed, 
that was the, the driving force to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's how um, I Okay, so John Kennedy becomes president, and we have uh, some very important things taking place, uh, starting with, I guess, really early in his presidency, in his short presidency, the Bay of Pigs. How does yes. that factor into this equation? That was a factor. That, of course, was a big fiasco. And Kennedy wanted to know how this had happened. He had actually given authority for this Bay of Pigs uh, attack to take place. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the forces were defeated. So he found out that messages that should have reached him about the condition in Cuba were withheld from him. And the men who, who withheld them were Heinz Stern, also known as Henry Kissinger. And so he told his wife, this man is a madman. Look what he's done. He's got caused the death of all these people. And we now have faced ridicule around the world for this fiasco. And so he forbade that he should ever set foot in the White House again. And, Ken, and, Ros- and um, Kissinger never did. He was never allowed back into the White House. Okay, and that was something that really angered a lot of the, the people uh, within the Committee of 300, as I understand it. But what was Kissinger's job at the time, and, and why? What, what position of power did he have where he, could, uh, where he could deter those messages from President Kennedy? Well, he was backed very much by the British through the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and he was the messages that they wanted Kennedy to get and to carry out was conveyed by by Kissinger to him, to Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And so when they lost Kennedy, when they lost Kissinger, the Royal Institute of International Affairs in London, they lost an important means of a conduit of getting this information, false information, as well as other information, to Kennedy. And. But I'm trying to understand, so Kissinger's role was, he didn't have an official role in government at that time. Was he just in a think tank, or what was he? No, he was an acting secretary of state at the time. Oh, he was, okay. Yes. Uh, under John Kennedy? Yes. Okay. Um, I wasn't I wasn't realizing that. Okay, so, so then we were defeated in the Bay of Pigs primarily because Kennedy was not given proper intelligence. Is that the issue? That's the issue. And... Um, okay, so then, so then, uh, clearly, the as, as you point out in your book, the committee of three hundred um, key people there in that committee were very were outraged because they're uh, Kennedy kicked Kissinger out, wouldn't allow him in the White House, and that that information flow that would go back to the committee of three hundred or the control that they had uh, over Kennedy was disrupted, and so that that was maybe the first step or one of the first steps in in making uh, Mr. Kennedy vulnerable, huh? That's right. And the second step was that he heard that he wasn't aware of the fact that the Federal Reserve Board was printing all the Federal Reserve notes. Uh, We don't have any real money in the United States. We don't have any real money today. We have Federal Reserve notes, which are not dollars and never will be because they're signed by a private institution and don't have any force and effect. Mm-hmm. According to the Constitution, only the Congress has the right to issue uh, money. Well, that's, that's correct. But at that point in time, the dollar still was exchangeable into silver up until, I think, Lyndon Johnson's days. Yes, but, but the we were able was... to tell the rest of the world this is good money, and they accepted it. 
Yeah, and that's what that's what that's why the, the only reason that the dollar was acceptable as a reserve currency in other countries is because we are able to convince them that this was a sound, it was very sound money. Yeah, well, that was true up until, of course, Nixon officially took us off the gold standard, and and maybe right. we'll get get to that, but. Okay, so what so what Kennedy then did was uh, well. Let, let's talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis. How does that fit into the story? Well, the Cuban Missile Crisis was, I told you, was a an, another factor. Let me just go back to the, the question of, of the currency first of all. Mm-hmm. We, you know, the fact is that Kennedy then drafted his own executive order. He got a copy sent to him of Thomas Louis T. McFadden's great statement about the Federal Reserve Bank, Mm -hmm. where he said there's not a single person within the sound of my voice to know that this is the the most corrupt institution the world has ever seen. And he got this. uh, Somebody gave him a copy of Thomas, uh, of Louis T. McFadden's uh, uh, disclosure about the Federal Reserve. And, uh, of course, he decided then and there that he was going to issue U.S. currency himself. He signed mm-hmm. an executive order to have, I think it's something in the region of $2 billion printed by the United States Treasury and totally bypass the Federal Reserve. So once again, the powers that be would then have lost their most important grip on the American people. They would not have any control ever again over the issuance of currency. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That is the most important institution and the, the institution of power because the Federal Reserve, as Ron Paul points out, prints endless amounts of money, and that enables us to continue, uh, you know, the United States to go to war around the world uh, and, and to, and, you know, endlessly get involved in, in, inter, in, in other countries and to spend huge amounts of money on military. And Dr. Paul talks about the difference between military and defense. is uh, clearly... A difference, although most people think of defense as military and one and the same. Um, so, are you saying then that that this was really the death knell for Kennedy? Was that he that he issued this executive order? Because I've heard this theory before that he his issuance of this executive order that essentially uh, emasculated the Federal Reserve was the main reason that he was killed. Yes, so that in my own view, I think that's the main reason. I think that's the main reason. You know, without the control of money, you don't have control of anything. So he had well, to and, go. And this is really at the heart of Dr. Ron Paul's message and his view that we need to end the Fed uh, is is because they are able then to take away our liberty, our freedom, our democracy, our republican form of government from the people, hollow out the middle class, and and allow these these special interests to become wealthier and wealthier over time and to enslave everyone else. Is that right? That's correct. And as long as we have the Federal Reserve banks, there's several banks, by the way, and not one bank, and Federal Bank of New York and so on down the line, as long as they're in existence, United States people are not free. We talk about freedom, our liberty. We don't have liberty. We are bound by the chains of the Federal Reserve Bank. Mm-hmm. And certainly enslavement now and indebtedness is, is the greatest uh, threat, I think, to most people. They are have gotten themselves into huge amounts of debt, and now they are indentured servants uh, almost. Um, and, and this is why I say that the, uh, 
that the United States and why Ron Paul believes that we need another revolution to go back to 1776. But I'd like to ask you about this very interesting Congressman Lewis T. McFadden, uh, Chairman of the House Banking Committee. Uh, he seemed to be onto the Fed, wasn't he? He understood the Fed and what and what was going on there much earlier than other people. And did he? Um, what happened to McFadden? We don't hear that much about him. No, McFadden was a great a great man in the Congress. He was the one who found out very early about the Federal Reserve, exactly what they were doing, and why they were doing it. And he said. As from the floor of the House, I think I've quoted him before, there's not a single man in this House within the sound of my voice that does not know that the Federal Reserve Bank is the most corrupt institution in the world. Now, that's a pretty a pretty big challenge to throw down. Yeah. And, of course, it resulted in Kennedy getting to know about money because Kennedy didn't know the first thing about money or anything of that nature. He had been no interest in it before at all. Mm-hmm. But once he got to that knowledge, he issued the executive order. But McFadden, three attempts were made on his life, two by poison. Luckily, there were doctors. He was invited to a banquet, and his food was poisoned. Luckily, there was a doctor sitting next to him who was able to save him. Then again, he also poisoned on another, on another occasion. And the third time, he was murdered by being a marksman, a sharpshooter, shot him as he got out of a taxi on the steps of the Capitol building. Of course, the marksman escaped. He's never been caught. And uh, that, was a, that was the demise of a wonderful and a courageous man who paid for what he was doing with his life. So you believe McFadden was, was murdered? Oh, yes. Uh, because of his... Uh, because of his um... Uh, statements about the Federal Reserve. Yes, I'm sure that there are documents to prove that today. Yeah. They weren't at that time, but they are now today. And I'm sure that these documents I mentioned before, the uh, Assassinations Review Board has something about, about that in it as well. Because it covers, I can imagine, 60,000 uh, pages. It has a lot of detail about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting quote that you have in the book from McFadden. Uh, uh, is a Great Britain. This was from uh, that he wrote in uh, Thursday, May fourth, nineteen thirty-three. Great Britain moved to consolidate her gains after the treacherous signing away of American rights at the Seven Power Conference at London in July nineteen thirty-one, which put the Federal Reserve system under the control of the Bank of International and Settlements. Great Britain began to tighten the hangman's noose around the neck of the United States, that from uh, Congressman McFadden. So that would be the a part of the connection here we're talking about, uh, the royalty of Europe or the royalty of Britain taking back essentially her colonies, would it not? This would be part of the mechanism, part of the organization to do so. Yes, that's right. This is really uh, very, very interesting stuff. We, we uh, are uh, basically out of time, Dr. Coleman. I'd like you to come back again sometime in the near future if you can. I can, um, and I will if you invite me. But may well, I also take this opportunity quickly to remind your listeners that if they want to order the book, Committee of 300, they can do so by calling 1-800-942-0821. And if they want to go to the website to see what we have to offer in other books and monographs, they need to go to Coleman at 300.com. 
Coleman at 300.com. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you again, Dr. Coleman, for being with us. There's so much more to talk to you about. We've, we've talked about uh, what is arguably the most, one of the most important incidents in, you know, in modern, current, contemporary history in the United States, that being the assassination of John Kennedy. Uh, but it doesn't end there. I mean, uh, I think we need to be able to look at this incident, uh, if it is uh, connected, as you suggest, uh, and how that's important, not only in the past, but what is likely to happen in the future. And that's what we are, are always trying to do. And this show is also about trying to dig underneath the surface to find out what's really going on so we can understand the present, so we can best prepare our lives accordingly. And part of that is to uh, prepare ourselves economically and financially and understand uh, so that we can survive. Well, I've invented in this... a little slogan. We have it in all of our books and papers now. You, you have to know so the present. Also, I think you publish a, a newsletter, do you not, Dr. Coleman? We do. We have a, uh, a 34-page news magazine, World in Review. comes out bi-monthly, and that covers world items and local news that you won't get in the press or the TV. Never, ever see it there. And then we have weekly intelligence reports, which are exactly that, intelligence reports that come out weekly, and they are mailed out bi-weekly. And you've, this is from information, again, from sources around the world, and this is information that you'll never see in the press or the television news. So okay, if you want so to be kept informed about world events, call us at one 800 942-0821. Or Thank you again for having me on your show. And and the website again? Coleman at 300.com. Thank you very much, Dr. Coleman. Look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Well, folks, don't go away. We are going to try to connect the dots here, the theory with the, uh, with the reality of needing to make money and to earn a living. Uh, we do know that, uh, as uh, Dr. Coleman has talked about, the debasement of the currency and the, uh, the use of the Federal Reserve to reallocate wealth from those who create it to the, uh, the people that control it. Uh, those of us who are aware of what's going on want to protect ourselves, and we know that one of those ways is to own gold. And uh, I believe gold mining shares for various reasons we're going to have back with us as we go to commercial now. After we come back from commercial, Brian Kerwin, he's the president of American Bonanza. He's going to be with us, so don't go away. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. 
Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Brian Kerwin of American Bonanza Gold. It's a company that's uh, about uh, actually starting to produce gold right now from their mine in western Arizona. The company trades under the symbol BZA in Toronto, and you can buy it in the United States under the symbol ABGFF. 198.5 million shares outstanding, uh, trading at 50 Sense gives it a market cap of just a little under $100 million. Uh, for the sake of full disclosure, I guess I should mention that this is a recommendation in my newsletter, uh, and uh, American Bonanza is a sponsor to this show. Welcome, Brian. Welcome Thank back. You, really good to have you here. Now, you uh, are uh, in production now, is that right, or you're about to be in production uh, from your Copperstone gold mine in western Arizona? Uh, we're uh, we're in production now, Jay. Um, it's been a, a fairly hectic couple of years. We finished the feasibility study at Copperstone just over two years ago, and uh, in that two-year period of time, um, we funded the uh, capital capital expenditures. Uh, we achieved all of our permits. Uh, we built the mine and mill, and uh, we've been starting it up. And so, startup is a transition. It's a phased process. Um, but we've been running quite well and have a goodly amount of ore stockpiled at surface for the mill. And uh, soon, um, I'm quite sure that you will see news uh, announcing that we're starting to uh, ship um, gold in concentrates. So the thing is in production and coming up to design levels. And so you are producing a concentrate and not a doré bar. Where, where uh, are you sending that concentrate? 
Um, right now, we're sending the the first batch to an outfit. Think to an outfit called FNS in uh, Spokane, and that's that's what they do. Is they uh, they deal with with these concentrates. Mm-hmm. So the concentrate is assayed, I guess, when it leaves your uh, mill, and then it's assayed when it arrives. Is that the way it works? And then you're, and then how soon do you get paid? That's right. Um, well. So, so we will weigh it uh, and assay it before it leaves, and um, uh, we're in the process of doing those sorts of things right now. Um, the customer will weigh it and assay it upon receipt, and um, within two weeks, uh, we will receive a provisional payment of uh, 75% of the gold, um, uh, you know, 75% of the contract payment for the gold that's in the concentrate, and uh, then. Um, any differences in the uh, two assays uh, will be settled out uh, out of the final 25% payment uh, once they, they um, produce uh, bullion. So you've stockpiled some ore. How much have you stockpiled, and, and what is the capacity of your mill? Uh, the capacity, well, the, the, the design from the feasibility study is 450 tons a day. Mm-hmm. Um, capacity is likely closer to 700 tons a day. Hmm. Um, so it, it will be easy to expand for us. It'll take a minor modification to uh, permits, but we don't think that'll take very long. We got all of our permits in one year for the startup, so uh, hmm. we don't think that'll be a big uh, challenge. Um, but the plant will do 700 or should do 700, but we're, we're first aiming at achieving our design throughput of 450 tons a day, and we are closing in on that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the small pile of surface peaked at uh, over 4,000, maybe as much as 5,000 tons, and uh, the mill's been working through that. It's probably 2,700 tons today, um, and so at the, the mill will work through that stockpile as the mine continues to come up to speed. Of course, at the beginning of the mine life, um, there's quite a bit of development work going on uh, right now in order to open up stoves, and so we're we're using this stockpile as a buffer between the, the mine and the mill, and the mill will work down that stockpile as the mine is getting the, uh, the development work done while they're mining ore. And then uh, when the stockpile draws down, the idea is that the, the, the mine will then be able to feed the mill at capacity. And mm-hmm. we think that transition is going to take place over the next month or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, typically, very often, at least in the uh, you know, underground mining operations, the bottleneck is the ability to get enough ore out of the mill, out of the mine fast enough to feed the mill. So, are you pretty confident that you can get up to that 450 ton per day? You can pull that much ore from the mill or from the mine. Uh, yes, we are. We're 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 watching uh, the performance increase over time, and um, and that's why the stockpile was placed in uh, because we knew of that that phenomenon that you described, and uh, the stockpile then provides that buffer. At, at one point, it was 4,500 uh, tons, which, you know, gives the mill a free 10, 10 full days at full capacity. They haven't reached full capacity yet, although they're closing in on it, and uh, so we got maybe, you know, a couple weeks there, so so as the mill consumes that, the mine is coming up to speed and uh, should match the mill, and and that's the idea. Uh, we're seeing the trends that suggest that should happen. And, and yes, we are reasonably confident that, that we'll be able to achieve that. Brian, what are the grades that you're anticipating for the, uh, for the life of mine? And 
are you getting those grades now or is there some development or that might mean you have lower grades at the early stages of, of this uh, operation? Uh, well, according to the feasibility study, the uh, the resource grade is just over 10 grams a ton. Hmm. And um, we're, uh, we're seeing, um, although I can't go into too great a detail because we haven't uh, announced anything like that, and it will be a certain amount of time before we can mine a certain amount of tonnage to mm-hmm. be able to make some sort of a statement. But, but we have been in uh, stopes that are above, uh, above grade, and, and so far um, any, any grade variances that we're seeing are to the positive side in, in generality. So, um, so we think, that, uh, we, think that, that we will see um, uh, over time um, favorable uh, grades out of the mine. So something similar to that uh, feasibility study? It may even exceed that, but it's it's too early to tell. Too early to tell. Okay, now uh, maybe you could refresh um, for our listeners the economics of that feasibility study uh, because they were pretty outstanding. Can you talk about about the feasibility study? Um, yes. Well, the, the feasibility study anticipates 450 tons a day, as we uh, dis- discussed, which is about 150 thousand tons per year. And uh, like I say, the resource grade is over 10 grams a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to add in dilution and recovery and things like that by the time you actually make bullion. But um, um, the uh, the economics were very robust, showing an average cash cost over the life of the mine of $415 an ounce. Um, we have a $1,700 gold price that we're experiencing today. Obviously, we have good margins on that. And when you consider that we're producing, um, I think, Life of mine average is about 40,000 ounces a year. The first three years, it's 46,000 ounces a year. Mm-hmm. Um, with that kind of a margin on each ounce, it's easy to uh, to see how uh, this should perform uh, from a, in a very robust manner from an economic point of view. Mm-hmm. Now, you did take down, uh, you did uh, take out a gold loan, I believe, a small one of 3,900 ounces or so of gold, and how much money? Did that bring in to you? And I guess you're using that for working capital, just to make sure you have a cushion. Yes, that's right. And um, and, and it is. It's 3,936 ounces. Uh, the uh, the gross proceeds were six million dollars. So mm-hmm. uh, um, basically, now our obligation is to, over the course of the year, um, pay that 3,936 ounces of gold, which represents about one and a half percent of our uh, proven ore reserve at Copperstone. Mm-hmm. And um, a little over 10% of year one's anticipated production. So we think it should be pretty easy to uh, to deliver that goal. Mm-hmm. I know, Brian, that you have a lot of exploration potential there, uh, and that actually you stopped uh, spending money on exploration after the 2008 uh, financial crisis, and and really got down to the point of putting uh, moving towards production, so you could get some early cash flow. From this company, from this project, how soon do you think you'll have a positive cash flow coming out of this project? Well, if if uh, we make our, our goals of uh, delivering our first shipment fairly soon, um, I would say you know fairly soon. Um, mm-hmm. That first shipment will uh, I can't give any details yet. The numbers are still coming in, but yeah. that first ship will be you know substantial and. Um, and really, you know, within a month or two, um, I, I would anticipate that we will be in a cash flow positive uh, situation at Copperstone. Okay, we only have 30 seconds left uh, to, before the break here, but can you give us, is there anything else you think our listeners uh, should should know before we discontinue our discussion for today? 
Sure. Um, well, you know, this transition that Bonanza is going through right now from an exploration company um, who repeatedly dilutes by going to the market to raise the funds in order to fund operations yeah. uh, into an operating company where, where the mine makes the money, this transition is fairly unusual, and we've mm-hmm. done it very rapidly. Um, I think it'll take a few months while uh, while we prove um, the performance of the mine for the market to appreciate that Bonanza is now an operating company, and I think that that, uh, that, that could uh, be very good for the share price. Uh, as you say, we have a lot of expansion potential at Copperstone, and over the next year or so, you know, we'll be demonstrating what that is. I think that's very positive for the stock going forward, and we have um, big growth plans. I mean, we, we got an awful lot done in the last two years, and our goal is to have another mine similar to Copperstone within three years of now. And uh, if we are able to do that, it's a tall order, but we did achieve what we just achieved at Copperstone. Uh, if we do achieve that, then, um, again, that should be very good for the share price. So, you know, I think, I think the future is quite bright for Bonanza. It sounds like it is, and I want to thank you again, Brian, for coming on and updating our listeners. We do have to go to commercial break. We'll look to talk to you again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thanks again. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back, and my partner, Roger Wiegand, is supposed to be with me to help me wrap up today's show, and I'll be telling you about next week's guest as well, so don't go away. Be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I have Roger Wiegand with me here uh, for his commentary. Uh, before we close off this week, I uh, just mentioned that Mexico Mike uh, was not available today. We do ha- ha- hope to have him on the show sometime in the near future. Chen Lin, also uh, very busy these days, doing extremely well with his oil picks, some really exciting things. Again, you can take advantage of Chen's letter, Roger's letter, and my letter, uh, for which uh, also Mexico Mike uh, contributes to my letter. Uh, go call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. But now I want to talk to Roger. Uh, Roger and I are going to be attending the Wealth Protection uh, Conference in Tempe, Arizona on the 27th and 28th of April. Uh, but Roger is uh, going to be conducting a teaching, a technical uh, seminar for uh, to teach and help people learn how to use uh, charts to trade on. And he's going to have that on the 26th. So Welcome, Roger, and, and maybe you can just tell our listeners uh, a little bit how they can avail themselves to that uh, one-day special event that you're providing. Yes, hi, Jay. The, well, to register for the class, which will be in conjunction with the Wealth Protection Conference, there's three, two shows, three days in a row. Mine's first for one day on April 26. The price is $800. The normal training seminars where we provide this kind of information, they usually charge 2500 my futures broker was on the road with the famous Larry Williams doing just since a, such a show. Um, we're going to show people how to use Elliott Wave Light, which is very simple if somebody will explain it to them, which we're going to do. And about three years ago, we used it to do 18 winning trades in a row on our futures. Uh, call Linda Gorman at 800-494-4149 at uh, Resource Consultants and she will register you for both the shows. And, of course, Jay and I will be speaking at the second part of the show itself. Yeah, that name is Linda Gorman, and that's 800-494-4149. Okay, go ahead, Raj. The, the next thing we're looking at today is the uh, all the commodities are, are well-supported. They're doing quite nicely. Uh, gold today, 1785, support and resistance. The only thing that came back a little today uh, was was oil. But that's just normal trading. It got overbought. Oil now is 106.50. Keep in mind, oil now on the West Texas Intermediate crude is uh, the one that's reported in New York. But the Brent crude, which is mostly the rest of the world, is now $124 a barrel. So the push is to the long side with most all commodities. Uh, grains up, sugar up, cotton, uh, gold, silver. Silver had the biggest move of all today, up 4%, $37.01. Silver looks very good. It's doing and behaving exactly like it did a year ago when we had that massive silver run from $26 to $49. I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but it very well could. 
Yeah, and uh, so the markets are looking strong. Do you still see it, Roger, until a sort of a May and then go away scenario here? Yeah, we do. Uh, the next correction looks to be out the 9th or 10th of March. Uh, some correction in Europe probably on the 15th or the 20th. From there in April, we're going to go higher. We're looking at a correction of normal correction size in May for the broader stock market, maybe 10%, and then probably go higher across the board. Uh, summer in the chop. The fourth quarter is the one we're watching very carefully. Yeah, it's uh, so it really is a, a time to be a time to make some money now. I know Chen feels the same way. He's he's very, very, very bullish right now, and is actually in his own personal accounts has leveraged up a bit. Um, you know, I don't personally leverage. It scares the uh, it, it scares me. I'm I'm uh, too conservative for that, I guess. But there certainly are some great opportunities out there. The equity market. Uh, you know, does does look strong right now, though um, I I believe that there are still major problems underly, underlying the surface uh, that are going to cause some problems. Next week we're going to be talking, uh, our guest is going to be talking to us um, about, uh, he's going to be talking to us about China. He's a bear on China. I'm talking about Gordon Chang. Uh, and uh, Gordon is certainly, uh, he, he debated Frank Holmes at the Cambridge House uh, conference uh, a few weeks back, and uh, it's going to be interesting to listen to Gordon Chang. Certainly, um, you know, the, all the bulls on the commodities are looking to China, but as uh, Chen Lin pointed out uh, last week, I believe it was, that in fact uh, there's a lot of speculation. My belief is that what's happening is money is being pumped into the system, into the banking system. It's not being lent out, but it's being put to use for speculation by the hedge funds. Uh, Chen Lin noted that J.P. Morgan had um, had stockpiled a year's worth of copper, and I think Roger, you mentioned that Goldman Sachs also had put away some commodities. Yes, and copper's gone up again, Jay. It's up 2.3 percent today, or 2.3 cents, I should say, to three dollars and ninety cents. Uh, we did recommend a call option on uh, Freeport MacMoran this morning. Uh, we're looking for several uh, large moves in the balance of our favorite stocks not only in gold and silver, but in energy, as you mentioned with Chen Lin. Yeah, I think energy is uh, Chen Lin's uh, mart uh, resources is uh, looking like it's ready to blast off. And another one, Panorian Energy, is another one that's done extremely well. He believes is ready also for blast off. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. We do want to thank those people who have made this show logistically possible, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, and Justin Jackman, my engineer. That's all we have uh, time for this week. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.